This is the power of a great story. It brings encouragement. It sparks laughter and joy. A great story makes you think and taps into your deepest emotions. A great story can make you cry. It has the power to heal and it brings comfort and peace. A great story is about every one of us. It shows us the dark and also the light. A great story reveals the truth and the truth will change your life. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Good morning, Cornerstone Church. How are y'all today? I got to tell you, to everybody at the Scottsdale campus and Santan, everybody at the 5 o'clock service, all you folks online at Cornerstone Online, everybody here at the Chandler campus, you are the loudest, the rowdiest, the most welcoming, friendly church in the world. Let's just go all in on this thing, right? So I want to ask you a question today at all of our campuses. Who wants to have a party this morning? Anybody just want to have a party? Is that all right? Is it okay if we actually have some joy and some happiness and celebrate who God is and that we get to be his kids? Is that good stuff? I mean, this is going to be a good day. Uh, it's summertime, so I thought I'd bring out some lemonade and the beach ball. It's, it's beautiful for Phoenix, right? Just incredible. By the way, my name is Scott, if we haven't met, and uh, I am really thrilled to be with you guys again. And we're going to have some fun today. I really just want to encourage you guys with something that I think is very, very important but we're gonna have some fun along the way. I wanna say a statement to you that is potentially a, a, a linchpin for your spiritual life. Something that I believe could be very catalytic for many of us sitting in all of our campuses right now or you online. This statement could be a game changer for you if you were to embrace it as you try to grow in your spiritual journey. And here it is. It's that the, the presence and the power of God in your life cannot be bought, but it will cost you something. Whatever it costs, it's always worth it. The presence and the power of God in your life cannot be bought or purchased, but it will cost you something. Whatever it costs, it's always worth it. We're in the middle of this series called Storyteller, and it's been fun all along the way. We're, we're taking some of Jesus's most famous parables as recorded in the New Testament, and we're just exploring them and unpacking them and applying them to our life. And in week one, we said that a parable is really an everyday story that's used to teach a spiritual truth. And we unpacked the parable of the sower in Mark chapter four that Jesus taught. And in it, we realized that the condition of our heart can determine the depth of God's work in our life. And we, we looked at it and saw, wow, there's the condition of a hard heart and of a shallow heart and a crowded heart. But there's also a place we can get where we have a fruitful heart where God can do in us and through us what he desires to do. And we realize that in the, there's some moments in life where we have to do the hard work. And the hard work is often the heart work of keeping our hearts soft and, and fruitful before the Lord. And week two, last weekend, we looked at what's called maybe the, the most famous parable of all, the Good Samaritan. And we realized, man, everybody's heard of the Good Samaritan. And really that parable was a little story that Jesus used to teach something very, very important. And it was a little story that contained a big lesson for a guy who was a religious guy confronted Jesus and said, who's my neighbor? 
And Jesus said, well, let me tell you a story. And he talked about this guy and the Good Samaritan. And we realized that the picture that Jesus painted of loving our neighbor in that parable could potentially, at times, cause inconvenience in our life. And loving people in that way could disrupt our schedule and sometimes cost us something. But for those of us who said that we're followers of Jesus, it's a command. And that we're to love people in that way. Today, we're going to look at a parable that often uh, in the parables, they teach us about the kingdom of God and the God of the kingdom. And today, we're going to look at just that in Matthew chapter 13. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn there. Go there on your app. And Matthew 13, really the whole chapter is focused on teaching about the kingdom and the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, which, by the way, are synonymous with one another. Before we get to our specific verse, whenever Scripture says the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, it usually is talking about much the same thing. And this whole concept or this whole reality of the kingdom of God, though it might sound uh, old school or maybe even cultish in a way, it's really a huge, huge piece of understanding Scripture. It's understanding this whole thing about there is a kingdom and God is the king of this kingdom. In fact, it's mentioned numerous times all throughout the New Testament. And so we're going to go there in Matthew chapter 13 and go ahead and look in verse 44, the shortest parable of all that I have found in the New Testament. And here's what Jesus says. He says, the kingdom of heaven, well, let me pause there real quick before I read it as, you, as you're seeing it. The kingdom of heaven, let me explain that because um, it's, it's, we could talk about it for hours, but really the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, to synthesize it, is God's rule and his reign in our hearts, in our lives, and in this world. It's where God is in control, where God has all the authority, and we come under his authority, and we come under his rule and his reign on this earth. That's what we really mean when we say kingdom of heaven. So here we go, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. So when we look at this, a couple things pop out. One is whenever we look at parables, always keep in mind that Jesus is primarily trying to make a single point. There's one thing he's trying to say in a parable, which by the way, if you're here at the Chandler campus or all of our campuses on Tuesday night, we have a thing here called the mine and I get the opportunity to be with you guys here on Tuesday night. We're going to dig into how do we study the parables? And how do we hear God through the parables? And we're going to have this conversation about what does kingdom life look like? And so it's going to be this really fun, hopefully impactful conversation on Tuesday. So when we look at this, parables usually make a single point. And in this parable, Jesus is making a pretty interesting point, And that is this, that the value of the treasure is so great that the guy was willing to do anything to get his hands on it. And you think about, well, hold on, Scott, because when I look at this, there it seems like there's some illegal activity here. Jesus is talking about a guy who's being deceptive because he finds a treasure that's obviously not his on a piece of property that's obviously not his, and he buries it because he realizes how valuable it is, and he goes away and rounds up, he does a venture capital run trying to get enough money to go back and buy this field and get that treasure. He's thinking, whoa, that's unethical. Well, the thing again to keep in mind is in a parable, Jesus would use different ways to get our attention. And he would always bring his listeners to what we might say is a crisis of decision. And he would use stories that were of righteous 
living and things that maybe were unethical, but the point was not how to live. It was the primary thing of here's what I'm trying to get across to you. He was trying to teach for transformation, not disinformation. However, in that day, it's, here's something interesting to note, is that a lot of people who had wealth or any kind of money, they didn't really have banks like you and I might have to put it in and, and hide it away or invest it or safeguard it. But when time would come when they were in the threat of being robbed or even um, other countries coming in and take them, taking them over, they'd take their little treasure and they would go out in their field if they owned property and they would bury it in a safe place until everything was good again and it was safe to go get their money. So it was actually commonplace for people to come across a buried treasure that someone buried sometime in the past, but they passed away before they ever came back to get it. And so this guy comes across this treasure and realizes, oh man, this is amazing. And scripture says, Jesus says, that realizing what it was, in his excitement, he buries it again, hides it, and goes and sells everything he has so that he can come back and buy the field. And he was testing the owner to see if he actually knew the treasure was there by trying to buy the field. And if he said no, then he must know the treasure's there. But he sold it. So he's like, man, I got it. He doesn't know it's there. I get the treasure. Good stuff. You guys with me so far? All right, let's keep on rolling. So Jesus says, here's this guy. And he finds this treasure. And the whole point is, it's so valuable, what's he willing to do to get his hands on it? And I want to talk about what that means for us because we talk about the kingdom of heaven. Here's something really interesting, is that when you and I give our life to Christ, we ask Jesus to be the leader of our life, the Lord of our life, we ask God to forgive us of our sin, we make that decision to follow him. Scripture says something really interesting. You can read it later. It's in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. And it says that in that moment, when we make that decision to ask Christ into our life, that we're literally, Scripture says, we're transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son he loves. I know that's kind of wild wording there. But the Bible literally says, when you make that decision, we come out of a place of darkness and we're transferred into God's kingdom as his children. And when we are in his kingdom as his children, we have access and privileges that we did not have when we were not in his kingdom. It's pretty awesome. Now, I'm a NASCAR fan. Just throw that out there. My friends don't understand that, though. They often pick on me like, what? And I, I just understand that not everybody has such a top shelf taste that they understand <laughs> the science and the strategy of winning a, a stock car race that's 500 miles long going at about 185, 190 miles an hour for about three and a half, four hours. They don't understand that whole beautiful thing that's going to be in heaven, I'm sure, someday. They just don't get it. And often my friends will say, Scott, don't you, in order to be a NASCAR fan, don't you have to like, be a redneck? And I, I say like, well, what's wrong with that? Well, there's nothing wrong with that. There's some good people right there. And then I'll kind of throw back and say, well, hold on. Nobody on this planet has been ordained or given the authority by God to determine who's a redneck and who's not, but one person. And that's Jeff Foxworthy. He's the only guy. <laughs> he has the right. In fact, he has his like a, a list of a thousand things that would say, if this, then you might be a redneck, right? Like, he'll say, hey, if you own a homemade fur coat, you might be a redneck, doesn't he? If you've ever barbecued spam on the grill, you might be a redneck. 
If your wife ever yells at you and says, move that transmission so I can take a bath, <laughs> you might be a redneck. So he's the only one who can say that. But I was, uh, I've been to a lot of NASCAR races, been out here in Phoenix a number of times at some races. And one time when I was at uh, Michigan International Speedway, uh, somebody gave me what's called a hot pass. Now a hot pass in NASCAR is like the holy grail. This is awesome. It's a big old lanyard. You put it around your neck and you have all access and all the privileges, all the behind the scenes stuff. And so I'm wearing this thing and, and I get to go everywhere I want. Not only am I in the garage while they're wrenching on the cars, I'm in the pit box during the race, watching them do the pit stops. It was awesome. I got to go into what they call the car haulers, talk to some of the drivers. I could go anywhere I wanted to, talk to pretty much anybody I wanted to, be anywhere, all access, all these privileges. It was like I was walking. I was like, I see the glory of heaven. There's Jesus right there. It was so cool. It's beautiful. You know what happens when we ask Christ into our life and we move from outside of the kingdom into the kingdom of God? We have the hot pass. We have access to the presence of God, immediate access through the blood of Christ on the cross. We have privileges as children of God to go before God and to ask him to be engaged in the details of our life. We can come to him in the name of Christ and get God's immediate attention. In fact, I think a lot of our spiritual growth in this life is really learning what God has already done for us and walking it out and living in it. We have access and we have privileges that are just crazy. So what I want to do is look at this parable again and, and just kind of look at two things I want to encourage you with. Do you guys want to be encouraged today? Come on. Hey, let's encourage the Santan and the Scottsdale campus and everybody at the five o'clock, man. Let's put our hands together for them. We're so glad that you're part of this. It's so cool because there's people around our region that are worshiping with us all right now together, one vision to reach our community. It's so awesome. So let's look at this parable before I get too distracted on that and too excited. The first thing I want to mention with this parable is just the word I just said, and that is get excited. Get excited because you have come across the greatest treasure that this world will ever know. You really have. Jesus said that the guy found this treasure and in his excitement, he hid it again and went and sold all he had so he could come back and get his hands on it. In his excitement. And it's when we realize what we have as children of God and we get excited about it that I think when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, rings even truer to us and more relevant. Let's take a look at it. Matthew 6, verse 33. And Jesus says this. But seek what? Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said to seek his kingdom first? Above all else, in the context of chapter 6, he's talking about the stuff that you and I are always wanting to make sure we take care of and sometimes we're concerned about. And that is the food that's going to be on our plate and the clothing that's going to be on our back. It's in that setting where Jesus is saying, you know, you have normal needs, I know, and you stress out about it at times, and you lose jobs, and the, the economy changes, and you don't know where your next meal is going to come from sometime. You don't know if you're going to be able to clothe your kids for school next year. And he's saying, you know what, that's normal, that's okay, but before all of that, because God knows what you have need of before you even ask, before all of it, prioritize seeking the kingdom of God. Amen. Seek 
the presence of God and the power of God in your life, no matter the cost, because it's always, always worth it. I find it interesting that Jesus said when we pray, our model to pray is your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, seeking him first. And this isn't just a bunch of rhetoric or gibberish or just talk. Seeking God and his kingdom is not only how much of the Bible can I understand and learning that stuff or information, it's literally the power of God. If we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to put it on the screen for you. In verse 20, it says, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. It's living by God's power. And I know that I have so much room to grow in my life spiritually. It's just crazy. But in the years that I've had opportunity to grow, realizing what he had done for me, what Christ has done, and the, the access to God I have, and the privileges I have as a child of God, I, I look at my own life, and I think if we're kind of all the same, so often we don't realize what we have right in front of our eyes. We don't even realize what God has done to the full extent. Like, if we just could see it, we would live our life on such a different level. Any you guys ever watch uh, the TV show like American Pickers or uh, Pawn Stars or anything like that? Anybody? Well, go back to the original, the, the ones that started that whole deal on PBS was called Antique Roadshow. Anybody ever watch the Antique Roadshow? It's like, yeah, like some of you men are passionate. You're like, yeah, man, I was there in the day it started. I got the T-shirt, the PBS T-shirt. Antique Roadshow, people bring stuff in, they get it assessed, right? You kind of know the deal. Well, some years ago, this elderly lady named Claire in New Jersey brought in this card table. And it was like a half of a circle cut straight with a card table. And it was all covered with black stuff. And she, she, they, these guys were asking her about it. She says, well, I was out garage sailing one day. And I, I came up to this place where this lady was selling this table. I kind of liked it. And she was asking $30, $30 for it. Oh, I didn't have $30. I had $25. So she began the garage sale negotiation, right? I mean, we're talking hardcore, executive suite, head-to-head, -head negotiating tactics, I'm sure. And she said, I'll give you $25 for it. Lady says, yeah, sure, you can have it. So she takes it home, and she thinks, I got to clean this thing up. So she says, I use linseed oil and turpentine, and I start cleaning this thing up. And as the outer stuff is coming off, I'm starting to see some personality in this table. So she likes it. She brings it to Antiques Roadshow and they check it out. And literally that table that she paid $25 for a few years later sold for over half a million dollars. Little table. Now, how would you like to be watching TV and be the lady that sold that table <laughs> for 25 bucks? That would be the worst day of your life. That would be horrible. But for the lady who, she, who found it, who got it, neither of them knew what they had. Neither of them. And I think it's so much the same for many of us. We've got a dusty old Bible laying on the coffee table at home or on a bookshelf or an app on our phone that we never go to. And we don't realize that in that, God reveals to us what he has given us as his children and as people of his kingdom. And he wants to give us that and wants us to walk in that. And he wants to do great things in our life, not for our glory, but for his glory. And we have access to it. And it's right in front of us. And it's a $25 Bible. Man, I'm telling you, we will get excited 
when we realize that we've come upon the greatest treasure the earth will ever see. If, if God's word is true, then I don't think we can argue with that statement. We're gonna get excited. We've come upon this treasure. The other thing I wanna say to you is that when you begin to seek God first and his kingdom, and you begin to prioritize him, we cannot buy God's presence or his power. We can't pay for it, but it costs us something. And what it costs us is prioritizing and putting him first in our life. And whenever we do that, here's what I want you to, to, to encourage you with, is that when you count the cost, consider the reward. Consider what's on the other side of what you're doing in following Christ. Here's how Paul said it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul says, now listen, listen to the language in this thing. He says, I consider, a lo- I consider everything. Everybody say everything. It's pretty extreme here. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. I can consider everything else at least secondary. He goes on, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. That's a dude whose chips are all in for his life with God. And in in this setting, he's really talking about his religious pedigree. He was quite influential in his day as a religious leader, highly educated, very intellectual, very uh, uh, put up on a pedestal for a lot of people. And he says, all that stuff I considered a loss because none of that brought me intimacy with Christ. It's what brings me a personal, intimate relationship with my creator. That's what I want. And anything else that gets in the way, it's rubbish. That's a, that dude is like all in, man. He knows that the power and the presence of God cannot be bought, but he's willing to pay the price no matter the cost. He says, it's like rubbish. I mean, that dude is like extreme, all in. So here's something to think about for us in our world. That's Paul. What about you? What about me? When we count the cost, because there is one, what's the reward that we can consider? Maybe for you, counting the cost of getting up 30 minutes earlier in your day, or 30 minutes less of Instagram or Snapchat, and spending that time in God's word to learn what he's done for you and the access and the privileges he's given you as a kingdom person. When you count the cost of giving that time up, consider the reward of maybe God's presence more tangibly experienced throughout your day. When you consider the whole biblical teaching of generosity, and if you go down the road that says, man, God wants us to honor him with 10% of what comes into our life in tithing and I think oh man I'm going to count the cost there because I don't have 10% discretionary income that I can just cut off the top and just put it somewhere else yet when we consider doing that and the cost that it's going to be because it is a cost we consider the reward that it might bring people to Christ through doing stuff like this we consider the reward that lives are going to be changed And we consider the reward that probably, and I can say in my own life, definitely living on 90% with God's blessing goes further than living on 100% without it. I'm counting the cost, but I'm considering the reward on the other side. Maybe for you it's counting the cost of giving up the grudge that you've held for years towards somebody. 
Man, I don't want to give that up. They deserve it. Justice has to be served, right? I'm not, I'm not willing to give that up because they must pay someday. But when you are willing, you count the cost, what it's going to mean to you to give that up, you might experience the reward of a heart set free. Free of bitterness, free of unforgiveness, free of the ball and chain your whole life thinking about somebody that's way in your rearview mirror. When you count the cost, consider the reward. When you count the cost of God may be calling you to do something with your life that's different than your life's dream. It's a big cost. But consider the reward that when you give up your life's dream for the kingdom of God, you just might find your life's purpose. Maybe you don't know Christ. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God like all of us were at one point in our life. And you consider this whole thing of, well, man, I, I'm a self-made man. I'm an independent guy. What, this whole thing about God sounds like a life of dependence on him. Yeah, it's a different way to live. And you count the cost of giving up some things that you think you're in control of, yet you consider the reward of knowing your maker, having peace with God when you step into eternity. When we count the cost, consider the reward because it's always greater. I, uh, the, the hotel I stay at when I'm out here in Phoenix is um, they built right next door, I don't know if it was like six months ago or something, they built a brand new Chuck E. Cheese. I mean, come on, man, Chuck E. Cheese. Every kid on the planet loves Chuck E. Cheese. Every parent on the planet hates Chuck E. Cheese. Right? I mean, Chuck E. Cheese is a nightclub for children. That's what it is. I don't want to go in there. I've done all that. I don't want to go clubbing again. But we would take our kids there for birthdays and different stuff when they were little. And you go into Chuck E. Cheese, man, all the, the lights are going all over the place and all the games. And they're cooking the frozen pizza and they're serving that. And it's just really expensive. You go to Chuck E. Cheese and the kids love it though. And they love playing all the games. And what's funny about Chuck E. Cheese is that you get in there and they play the game where they knock over a clown with a little ball or something. And the little machine that's hooked up to the game, you've seen it, right? It kicks out. It's like you knock over the clown and all of a sudden it goes brrrr. And you're like, whoa, man, dang, that's a lot of tickets. That is awesome. And the kid's eyes light up. You know, you think, man, that's nice. So the kid gets, he has his tickets from that game. He goes over to the, you know, the deal with the, the wooden balls and you throw them and they go into the thing and into the, the score. And then you get done with that and they kick it out again. And you got all these tickets come out of the machine and they keep on playing these games for hours, hours. And they get all these tickets from all these games and kids are walking around like wide-eyed going, man, the mother load right here. This is life at its best right here. And you paid... 30 bucks for these tickets. You know you did. And they're on a sugar rush, man, and they're all spiked. And they're like, I got my tickets now. Let's go. We're going to go to the counter. And we're going to get our prize. And the kid, you walk up, and there's all oh, a ton, a big line of kids there. And there's two high school students on the other side of the counter. And they all look like they hate life, right? <laughs> And they're moving really slow, and all the kids are, ah, and the kid's like, yeah, you cry everywhere you go, you little punk, you know, what do you want, right? Hey, little girl, where's your mommy? She left you, didn't she, huh? What do you want? Just, you know, those kids. And so they're there, and the kids, got my tickets, got my tickets, and they take all these 20,000 tickets that they get 
for three hours of games that you paid 30 bucks for. And they turn it in and they get a big prize. It's a, it's a paddle ball. Tell me that's not a brilliant business plan. You just paid $30 for a five cent paddle ball. And you're like, is that it? Is that all? And the kids were like, awesome. And they're playing with it and it breaks, you know. By the way, who knows how to, who plays with I cannot even do this thing, it's crazy. Then you get your five cent paddle ball for 30 bucks, like that's it. And man, I'm telling you guys, if scripture is true, and many of us believe it is, if we live our life building our own kingdom, we're gonna someday, at some point in our life, we're going to walk up, and we'll just say we're going to walk up to God, okay? We're just having fun with this, this image here. We've got all our tickets, all the years of all of our hard labor, all of our, our highs and lows in life, all of our investments, everything we've done, most of what is probably darn good. But when we step up to it in light of eternity, what's it worth? We built our own kingdom. I'll tell you what it's worth. It's worth a paddle ball. That's it. But when we live our life finding our joy in building God's kingdom and not our own, everything changes. When we seek to live our life under the rule and the reign of God, participating in what he's doing, and building his kingdom in our hearts and in our communities. Yeah, you're going to get some tickets. Maybe, maybe for you, the ticket is going to be your kids love Jesus because they saw that you were the real deal behind closed doors. Maybe, maybe for you, it's serving for three days at fifth and sixth grade camp talking about Christ with kids who are really curious and they love you because you love God. Could be a ticket. Maybe it's that person at work that shares with you their marriage is crashing, it's falling apart. And you suddenly realize as a kingdom-minded person, I'm not here just for a paycheck. I'm here to make a difference and to be part of God's kingdom in this place. And you come alongside that person and you encourage them and you pray with them. They may not have faith in Christ, but they're going to have faith in you that you care about them. And that may be the Christ that they see in that season of life. The ticket. We don't get our tickets to earn God's approval or his forgiveness, any of that stuff. But we invest our life. We invest our life into his kingdom. We are kingdom people if you're a follower of Christ. Let me read this short verse to you. This is so super cool. In case you're wondering if I have to strive to experience this in my life. Here's what Luke 12, verse 32 says. Jesus is teaching. He says, so don't be afraid, little flock. That's you, that's me. For it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Great happiness. I think God wants to have us experience his kingdom more than we want to experience his kingdom. The presence and the power of God in our life, 
the rule and the reign of Christ cannot be bought, but it will cost us something. Whatever it's worth, as you prioritize seeking first his kingdom, I guarantee it's worth it. At all of our campuses today, let's go ahead and take a moment to pray. Father God, we thank you so much for teaching us some about your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that, uh, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on this earth just as it is in heaven, Lord. Lord, I pray for those of us here today that, that may not know you, God. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts today and you would let this resonate with us all week long and turn our hearts towards you and let us come running to you and calling on you, Jesus, to be our Savior. And Lord, for those of us who know you, give us the conviction, the deep conviction that we're here to help build the kingdom of God because we are kingdom people. And Lord, we thank you that it's your pleasure and you take great happiness in giving us the kingdom. So just as innocent children, we freely receive it, Lord, and we thank you for that. And it's in Jesus' name that we always pray. Amen.